I'm glad to be here. I enjoy uh, the opportunity that Jesse gives me to speak, and I hope you can get something from it. Um, I wanted to talk tonight about this topic right here. Can a believer live in sin? So go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Luke 18. Luke 18 with me. Can a believer live in sin? The reason I wanted to talk about this is because it's really pertinent to my studies lately because uh, on YouTube, I respond to a lot of people's comments. I'm replying to thousands of different people over the course of the months. I reply to a lot of people who comment on our channel, responding to Jesse and the topics we discuss, whether it's his sermons or the uh, answers he provides to people's questions. And particularly, this question tends to ping-pong around quite a bit, um, uh, particularly when you're talking amongst people who believe lordship salvation or Calvinism. Um, but even it comes up to people who believe in all different types of works-based uh, teaching. And so this is not to be confused with should a believer live in sin? We don't want to confuse those ideas. The question is, can a believer live in sin? Okay, not sh should a believer live in sin. The obvious answer to this one is no, big N-O, no. A, sh a believer should never live in sin. But can a believer live in sin? It's also not to be confused with, is it okay if a believer lives in sin? We shouldn't confuse these things. It's, can a believer live in sin? Should a believer? No. Is it okay for a believer to live in sin? No, obviously not. But can a believer live in sin? And before we get to the text in Luke 18, I wanted to share with you guys a few things that people comment on the channel. I'm going to have them on the screen here. So if you can't see it clearly, I'll read it to you. So let's go ahead and see what these say. These are some real commenters. You can see I just snippeted it. I got them highlighted in a couple spots uh, because I want you to take note of what they say. It says... Uh, kind of chopping off some of this person's context. Uh, the Christian who goes back to habitual sin does not believe this. If I sin tomorrow and die without repenting, this is what this person says, if I sin tomorrow and die without repenting, I will make heaven because of the sealed covenant of life the Father made with the Son uh, completed when he rose from the dead. I agree with that statement. I like that statement. But... If I take that truth as an excuse to habitually sin, live in sin, over and over without real repentance, it shows I do not believe the gospel that freed me from sin. Okay. If believing the gospel saves me from unbelieving, then unbelieving the gospel dooms me. This is what OSAS misses, once saved, always saved. So this person believes you can lose your salvation if you don't have real repentance or if you fall into unbelief. Continuing, the habitual sinner who is professing Christ does not believe the testimony God gives of his son. God said he sent Jesus to free you from sin, yet the habitual sinner is saying he can still have God without being free from sin. He has made God a liar and the word of eternal life is no longer in him. So you see example number one. Example number two. A true believer, 
this is really piggybacking off of what Jesse's been talking about, you know, his faith series. A true believer can fall into, the context was about sexual sin, into sexual sin, but the Holy Spirit will convict that person. The Father will chasten that person. I agree with those two statements. So that they repent, confess, and forsake it. If a person is, here's the word, practicing sexual sin, meaning willful, ongoing, unrepentant, then the Bible, not me, this person, says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this person and the previous person says, if you are habitually sinning or if you're practicing or you're doing willful sin, then you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to see the people that comment and people that I've even witnessed to and talked to, they present uh, two options, really. This, this is what they give. You, get, you have the habitual sinner, and then you have the person who kind of sins, but not so much. That's who they are. But then they look down on these people who are habitual practicing sinners. So you see these two points, but really I'm going to give you a third, which I think the Bible wants us to have as a goal. You'll see what I mean in a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5 is what he provides, which is really just a couple lists of really long sins that include just about something that all of us do. I mean, lying is in those lists. Next one. OSAS, once saved, always saved. Eternal security is ridiculous and not biblical. By OSAS, logic, I could backslide and turn into a... Strong language here. Into a child-raping murderer, and because I was saved one day long ago, I wouldn't lose my salvation. It's absurd, he says. The Bible is clear over and over. Once saved, always saved is a lie, and salvation can be lost. Wow. Christ says if you don't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. He's quoting Matthew. He's not just telling that to unbelievers, correct? Once saved, always saved is a comforting lie. Christians tell themselves to justify continuing to live in sin. Repent or perish seems pretty clear to me. So a lot of these people look at people like us who believe that salvation is free, and they say, well, salvation is, you believe salvation is free, you don't have to earn it, you don't have to have, do any works before or after, therefore you think that you can just go and live in sin, you can live any which way you want, you can do whatever you want, and you just get away with it. That's what they, they pose at us. They think we say that we can just live any way we want, and God's okay with that. But that's very clearly wrong according to the scripture. You could live any way you want as a believer, which we're going to show. You could live that way, but you will not get away with it. It is not okay. Remember, the question is not should a believer, it's can a believer live in sin? Should a believer live in sin? No. Is it okay for a believer to live in sin? No. Can a believer live in sin? Let's see. I got a few more here. Once saved, always saved is a false belief. Remember, these are quotes from real people. I hid their tags. They're probably going to respond to me in the comments again and be like, you used my comment, but I disagree with you still. Salvation is a free gift from God. Woohoo! We aren't under Moses' law anymore, but under Christ's law. Okay. If you trusted Christ and believe, that's great, but you can't willfully sin. It's a free gift, but you can't willfully sin. It's a free gift. Okay. Like remarry after divorce, Jesus said, if you remarry after divorce, uh, it, shall be, it shall be called adulterous. Adulterous, adulterers, he's kind of typing funny. Adulterers cannot enter heaven. 
I actually like that he brought that up because when a person is married, that's the only marriage that God honors. Even if one steps out, God still considers them married. God did not allow for divorce. He allowed it for a way of, because of the hardness of their heart, but God still honors that marriage. I see eternal security in a marriage, not the case he's presenting. Here's a tiny one. Both of those statements are biblical, whatever I said. True conversion, listen closely, must be subsequently followed by sanctification. Must be. Ephesians 2.10. If a person is, here it is, willfully sinning, or willfully living in sin for years, they are not saved. Wow. This was how I was for many years, so he puts himself in the shoes. I accepted Jesus when I was nine, but it was not genuine faith. So I lived in sin until I was in my 30s. I still sin now, but since I acknowledged my utter fallen state and proclaiming Jesus as my only hope three years ago, my character has changed significantly. Do you see the two groups here? He was living in sin, but now he did something three years ago, and now he's this way. His character has changed significantly. So he claims... Perhaps. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Is there sin in your life that is causing you to hate hard sermons like Paul Washer's? This was on our Paul Washer video. On genuine conversion and sanctification. Lying, gossip, drunkenness, drugs, sexual immorality are difficult sins to give up. But in Christ, in Christ alone, we can receive freedom from all that sin. I believe, yes, we can receive freedom from the sin. But you don't have to stop doing those sins to be saved. That's the point he's trying to make. If, you're, if, you're, if you don't have a faith that is genuine, if you don't have a faith that works, then you're not really saved. If you live in sin, you don't have a genuine faith, and if you don't have a genuine faith, well, you're not saved. Well, my Bible says faith saves. Faith in Jesus Christ saves. The Bible never uses the phrase genuine faith, real faith, true faith, true conversion, false conversion. It never uses those phrases, not one time. It never uses the phrase that you have to repent of sins to be saved. The Holy Spirit will not allow anyone to openly... Listen to this. This guy was pretty inflammatory. It's hitting me too, the change of the season. The Holy Spirit will not allow anyone to openly murder, live a gay lifestyle, or worship another God. I would hope another God, this is included. A lot of people worship this. The fact that you defend this position, once saved, always saved, is absolutely ludicrous. There are people who truly believe in the gospel, and there are those who just say the sinner's prayer because they want to go to heaven. Two groups. He truly believes, but these people just say the sinner's prayer. Or for us, it would just be, well, you just mentally believed something. Because they want to go to heaven, and like the parable of the seeds and the sower, the cares of the world choke it out. Those people living in sin. The enemy comes and steals it away. Again, as a pastor, you should be ashamed because you are preaching lies. Nobody who is filled with the Holy Spirit will worship Baal and Moloch and sacrifice babies to them. So you can't do these things. You can't live in these types of sins and still be saved. A few more here. If somebody is born again, the Holy Spirit is in them. Correct. They will not commit mass genocide like Hitler did. That's not a sign of somebody who has the Holy Spirit. They will not, notice the circle, continue to worship Baal and Moloch and sacrifice children. Now, again, I'm against all these sins. These are terrible. He's, he's throwing it as far out as you can throw it. He's pinning us up with the, 
what we would say are the worst sins, the things that Hitler did, uh, sacrificing babies, things of that sort. We don't, we don't accept those things, but again, they will not continue to live in a homosexual lifestyle. I know, I personally know, homosexuals who are saved, they believed in Jesus Christ, they're still homosexual. They shouldn't be, but I know this to be true because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But he says you can't practice homosexuality and still be saved. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you are truly saved, you will not continue to do these things. You will not continue to kill people, sacrifice kids, so on and so forth. He says it again. There are probably many people in the comments section that could be getting a false assurance of salvation because of you, talking about Jesse in the video, misleading them, even though he was not. The truth is we believe in Jesus Christ, okay, and that he started a perfect work in us, he will complete it. If somebody truly believes in Jesus, there you go, truly believes, they do not become an apostate and stay saved. That is ridiculous. Again, making this false idea, splitting these two up, that a person who is living in sin cannot be saved. This person says, to my response, Bible line, yes, but you do have to stop being a heathen. You have to stop being a heathen, otherwise you're not saved. Bible line, sir, true believers of Christ are those who are born of God or born again, and they will overcome the world. Okay. You know you're saved if your life is in a process of being changed. Note, process of being changed. God will change you because he will discipline you if you don't obey his will until you become like Christ. But if we can still commit sin, we are not sinless. We can still commit sin, we are not sinless, but our sins become less. You notice the two groups. The two groups. He separates the idea of living in sin from people who just still sin but not as much, you see. And I'm going to present the idea this evening with the short amount of time I have to try to show you that in reality, if what they're saying is true, and what I actually believe the Bible presents, is that God doesn't just call us to sin less. God calls us to be perfect, holy, righteous. He doesn't, if, the, if what the Calvinist and the Lordship Salvationists say is true, if God really does just come into my life and take over like a robot, which is really what they're saying, that I won't be able to do these things because God put the faith in me to believe in his son and now he's working in me. If that is true, then I would have to be perfect. And you're going to see that when we look at 1 John 3, because the Holy Spirit cannot sin. It's not capable of sinning. And so if God takes over, if we're going to go that far and say God's going to take over my life, then I would not be able to sin because God would not permit any sin in my life because the Holy Spirit's not about sin. Do you see what I'm saying? I wouldn't be able to sin. And we flip the side of the coin. We, we step out of the Calvinist and the Lordship realm where God takes over. We go into the free will side, okay? You, the Catholics or um, Arminian type side, okay? Who They say you've got to work for your salvation. You've got to have some work on the front end, okay? You would still have to be perfect. You think of the rich young ruler. He had all these things, but he lacked, Jesus was pointing out the fact that he lacked perfection. He needed to trust in Jesus Christ. You would have to be perfect if what they're saying is true. It's not just living in sin. It's not just doing 
a little bit less sin that you used to do, you'd have to be perfect. And this is why the little third point of the presentation is when we have sin, God wants us to be perfect, but we can't because we all sin in the illustration. Next one. This is a response to a guy who's defending us, Tommy B. He did an interview on our channel. Jesus himself mentions in Matthew 7, 21 through 23 passage, why they will hear, depart from me, and it's because they practiced lawlessness, living in sin. He seals, secures, and sanctifies his children unto holiness over time. Yes, we can still sin. We can grieve the Spirit. We can turn aside for a season. I am not disputing that. Yet, we will always return, and through it, all we will grow up into him. And here's what he says. It is an oxymoron, notice this, it is an oxymoron to suggest, as some free grace advocates do, that a believer can live 50 years on earth and not become progressively transformed into the image of Christ from one degree to another. He's saying it's impossible for someone to go, say, 50 years and live in sin that whole entire time. There would be some point where they would be progressively sanctified. They would get closer to God. I would hope so, and maybe, maybe to some extent I would hope they would, but the possibility is there, and we're going to present that. There is an incredible practical holiness that God brings about through the Spirit, that is what makes the church distinct. That is what makes the church a fragrance for life to those that repent and believe and a fragrance for death that reject Christ. Notice this. The believer can act carnally at times and does, yet there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. I recall in Romans chapter 7 where Paul said, I am carnal, sold under sin. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where the Corinthian believers carnal, sold under sin as well, fleshly believers. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Paul Washer just entered the chat. <laughs> Oopsies. It'll come back. I'll read this one to you. This will come back on. There is no salvation apart from repentance. Okay, if we're talking about a change of mind. Repentance or metanoia in Greek is a change of mind. Okay. So deep and profound that the natural result is new behavior, desires, and attitudes. Is that a true statement? I would hope so, but not necessarily. You can have a change of mind without doing anything about what you change your mind about. Saving faith will always be accompanied by a turning away from sin and following Christ. You won't live in sin. You will turn from sin. You will follow Christ. You tickle ears telling people that they can have their sin and Jesus too. Marching millions into hell. Wow. I think this is the last one. You cherry-pick the Bible to justify your sinful life. Do we really do that? Why would we have a YouTube channel and a church and a Florida Bible college and all these ministries if we're trying to justify our sinful life? That's the argument they bring against us. Yes, of course, I have turned from my sin, this person says. My God and the Holy Spirit are able to keep me from stumbling. I am showing you how to go to heaven. Repent! That was the first word John the Baptist said and Jesus said to start his ministry. You haven't even taken step one. <laughs> Jude 23 tells us to discern how to treat hypocrites and sinners. You, you, talking to us, Bible line. And know that you are the Pharisee, not me. The Pharisees preached but did not do. They were hypocritical sinners. I am a saint who hears and does. Please repent. By the way, glory to God, I'm a street evangelist. Wow, the arrogance in that statement. I hate to say it. I think that's the last one. 
Okay, we'll get to that. All right, so the question was, can a believer live in sin? You're in Luke 18. Let's dive into the scripture here. I want you to look at Luke 18 with those thoughts in mind. You remember the two types of people that they were presenting is those living in sin and those who kind of don't sin much. And so look at Luke 18, look at verse 9 with me. This is what Jesus said in a parable. And the parable has a point. But notice what he says here in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Interesting. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I'm not like that guy. I'm not like those people. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. Notice the humility. But smote, look at me, smote upon his breast, look at me. You can picture him probably kneeling down. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. That's the point of the parable. But notice in verse 9 it says, He spake it to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. The Pharisees, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. What these people are believing, what a works-based system is really saying is they'll throw in faith, faith in Jesus. They'll put it in there somewhere. They'll say, yeah, faith in Jesus. Yeah, faith in what he's done for me. Yeah, that. But then somewhere along the lines, whether it's with that, before that, or after that, they include the idea of works. They're trusting in themselves that they are righteous. This man is trusting in himself. These people are trusting in themselves that they are the righteous ones. And they're looking down on those who have sin. And they believe that they don't sin as much, whether they think it's God doing that in their life like a puppet or not. They think that they don't have as much sin, but I'm going to tell you, a scripture we're going to look at is going to prove them dead wrong. I don't know if they've ever looked at James or 1 John, but they really, as Jesse said, they really do put things in perspective. It's like looking in a mirror when you read the book of 1 John or even when you read the book of James. These people think that they don't sin as much, And that's going to get them to heaven. But it's not true. So I want to turn with you to James chapter 2 now. Go to James chapter 2 with me. James 2. Hebrews, brew your coffee and then go to James. (laughs) Because we'll be here for another four hours, right, Jesse? No, just kidding. (laughs) All right, James chapter 2. I want you to look with me at verse Eight. James 2, 8, page 1307 of Schofield. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Okay. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whomsoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So I'm here to present to you that the person who is living in sin, 
and the person who doesn't sin as much, they're both condemned according to the law. It doesn't matter how much you sin, how little you sin, how much, what you think about your sin, okay? You're both condemned. The law always condemns sin. The law always condemns the sinner, all right? Even as a saved person, when you sin, the sin you're doing is condemned. You yourself will not be condemned to hell, but the sin you do is always condemned. There's a law against it. This is why Paul so vehemently writes in Romans uh, chapter 6 through 8 that we should not sin because we're supposed to be dead to that sin. The law is against that sin. So we're supposed to walk in the new nature which Christ has provided. But these people believe that maybe if they, if they kick out adultery or not being homosexual or not doing as much lying or not doing as much this or that, that those things are enough to justify them with their faith in Christ. But this says, look, if you, if you don't do adultery, but if you murder, well, it's like you've done them all. You've broken the whole law. Condemned. Sin is always condemned in the eyes of God. So you can't just say that I don't live in sin, therefore I am saved. I'd like to argue the point that every person on the planet still lives in sin because you still have a body in which you live in. We all have a flesh nature. You can't produce a false dichotomy in which there's people who don't sin, as, or sin a lot and you don't sin as much. That could be the case. Perhaps, perhaps Pastor Jesse doesn't sin as much as me or you know, some, something of that sort. But we can't present these two ideas and say, well, Pastor Jesse's going to go to heaven because he has a little bit less sin than Trent. We both have faith in Jesus Christ, but Pastor Jesse, oh, he didn't commit adultery and he didn't, he didn't murder somebody and Trent killed that guy. I'm just kidding. No, no. I would hope not. But no, just kidding. Just kidding. But just because he has a little less sin, he's going to go to heaven. No, no, no. We can't do that. Mm-mm. Turn a minute to James chapter 4. Really quick, James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence, verse 1 of James 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Look how strong language James is going to use against this body of believers. You lust, verse 2, and have not. You kill (laughs) and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. These are believers. Look, verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, wow, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Notice the strong language he uses against the believer here. In the believer, he has his flesh nature in which he was born into this world. But then when you become a believer, when you believe in Christ, you have the spirit, which is going to help you not to sin. The spirit cannot sin because it's born of God. The spirit is which takes our spirit to heaven when we die. But our flesh nature will always sin. Okay? The flesh always sins. It's condemned by God. You'll never escape sin. To an extent, everyone in the world is living in sin. And we're condemned in that sin. These believers who James is so against because they had faith, but they didn't have any works, and they're doing all these lusts and and naughty things and rattling off of the mouth of their tongue. They're committing all these sins. He's against that. They have faith, but they don't have works. They're not serving the Lord. But he's never saying that these people, because they're living in certain sins, that they're not saved. 
The argument against the believer in Christ is that, yeah, you're saved, but what are you doing with your life? The argument against the believer is never, you, you're going to lose your salvation because, well, you fell into some sin again. Or you were never saved to begin with because your faith didn't have enough good deeds. It's a false dichotomy being presented. These aren't the only two options. God calls for perfection, and there's only one way to obtain that perfection. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And as you go there, 1 John 3 is page 1323 in the Schofield. Look on the screen. I decided to, I sent this to Pastor Jesse a little bit ago, but I wanted to share this. This is the ESV of 1 John 3, 9. You notice the words I highlighted in the comments were continual, habitual, practicing, ongoing sin. Continual, habitual, practicing, ongoing sin. This is the ESV of 1 John 3, 9. This is one of the top four most purchased translations. King James has moved its way down to number four in the world, I believe, if that article was correct. ESV is top three. This is what the ESV says. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this statement is true of the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of God cannot sin. And what people like to take with the verse like this is they say, well, a believer in Christ can't keep on sinning. He can't live in sin. That's the ESV. The NIV, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Okay, so someone who's continuing in their sin, who's living in sin, they say, is not saved. They do not have salvation. That's the NIV. That's top three most purchased translation in the world. NLT, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep sinning because they are children of God. Wow. Amplified version. No one who abides in him, bracket, who remains united in fellowship with him deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. No one who habitually sins has seen him or known him. Notice now the King James Version in your Bible. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The word in the Greek, therefore, cannot sin or commits sin, does not commit sin, is poeo, it is not prazo. The word is not translated practice, it's translated you can't commit one single act of sin. The believer receives the Holy Spirit once he believes, and he cannot sin, or the, the Holy Spirit cannot sin, and it cannot sin because it is, it is born of God. The body in which we live in, which we were born from mom and dad, is born only knowing sin, sure, we can, we can reckon in our minds to try to do some good, but without God, we cannot attain to his righteous standards. But the body we're born in only sins. It is our flesh nature. This is why we need God's righteousness. We need to be born again. And so the Holy Spirit cannot sin because it's born of God. It can't commit one single act of sin. So if what these people are saying is true, it's not true, but in reality, you would have to be perfect to meet the standard of what these people are presenting. Because they say that you can't live in sin, you have to be somewhat better, but really the biblical standard is you can't commit any sin. And so you notice in verse 
4 of the same chapter. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this is the purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You have to be perfect, as holy as God, to have his righteousness. This is why when Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, he said, you're lacking. Even if it was only one little thing, it couldn't give away his riches. He was lacking. He needed faith in Jesus Christ to save him. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you get the thing that cannot commit sin. You get the Holy Spirit within you. That doesn't mean you're not going to sin again because this thing's still pumping blood. You'll still sin, but you have the righteousness of God applied to your account, and you now go to heaven. So we can't look at people and say that they have to stop doing X, Y, and Z sins in order to be saved. We have to have the perfect righteousness of God in order to be saved. Eyes to the screen. I have a couple other slides. I had a little uh, play on a little meme for you here that I made out of a Bible verse to go along with this. When people use those translations, the NLT, NIV, ESV, this is what their Ephesians 2, 8, 9 ought to say. For by works are you saved through effort and that only of yourselves. It is the hardship of God only by works so that all men will boast. That's what they're trying to say. That's their Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That's, I call it the heretics, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But really what the Bible actually says is for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. So regardless of where you put the works, on the front end, the back end, in the middle, with faith, it doesn't work. You have to have the righteousness of God. And it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's all my slides. So can a believer live in sin? Yes, he can live in sin. But remember, should a believer live in sin? No. Is it okay for a believer to live in sin? No. The reason a believer should not live in sin, look up here, I'll show you, I'll demonstrate it to you. Letting this hand represent me and you and the whole world, and the phone representing our sin, which we all have. It doesn't matter which one of those two groups you think you're in. If you're living in a lot of sin, God still loves you. Or if you think you, you have something, God loves you, but he still says you have a lot of sin. We all have sin, but God loves us. He doesn't like our sin because Sin's simple as lying or cheating or stealing, which we seem to overlook, hiding things, you know, still separate us from holy God, this hand, holy God. We're separated from him because of our sin. And because of that sin, we deserve to die and pay for it in hell. We deserve to die and be separated from God in hell forever. He doesn't want us to go there. He wants us to go to heaven. But just as the Bible clearly says, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. You can't commit one single act of sin, but we all have sin on us. We're not perfect like God. That's why we need to be born again. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Because we can't earn our own salvation. We can't add to it. We can't try to just do a whole bunch of works and, and get rid of that sin somehow, take it away the best we can. It doesn't work. The sin is still there. Jesus Christ came down from heaven and he who had no sin, who is the perfect righteous son of God, Jesus Christ came and he, watch, took all of our sin on himself and he died in our place. We deserved to die and go to hell, but Jesus died for our sin. He was buried in the grave, rose from the dead three days later. Instead of you and I, anybody in the whole world would just believe in him, that he did that for us, you get everlasting life. It's a free gift. 
It's not something you have to work for, earn, or you have to hold on to Jesus Christ and, and strive your hardest, or you might slip off, or, you know, think he's holding on to you, but he might not really if you're living in sin, you know. That's not true. Jesus died for all your sin. It's paid. Will you believe it? Do you believe that he did that for you? If you will, you have everlasting life. It's a free gift. So I hope that makes sense to you. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm familiar with everyone in the room, but over online, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you right now, would you believe in him as your Savior, trust in him? Let's pray together. Heads about eyes closed. We'll close it out. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we should not live in sin. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you believe in him right now, if never before? Would you trust in him as your Savior? And the moment you do, you get everlasting life. Now, you believer and myself, we should strive not to live in sin. We, we slip up, we fall, we do wrong. But remember, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us that cannot sin because it's born of God. And we can walk in that new nature which we've received. So let's do that. Father, thank you for your love, your kindness toward us. Thank you for sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that we can learn your word, we can come to you in prayer, and we can fellowship together. Uh, just bless Pastor Jesse and strengthen him as he prepares for the upcoming Sunday message. And thank you and help us to have a safe ride home. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Very good. There's two things that come to mind um, when I hear a message like that from a young man. Number one, I'm glad that we have someone like him defending in the comments. Because, folks, I can't do that. Uh, it's, way, it's just too much. There, it, is, it is endless. If you go look at all the comments around there, it's without end. People just seem to have nothing to do but throw mud at the clear gospel. And number two, I'm glad we have somebody like Trent helping our youth. This is where I think it's you know, extremely important that they understand these truths of the Scripture. I know we had a song prepared for the closing, but there's a verse of a song that comes to my mind so if you take your hymnal and go to 516, this will be our closing song. I'll leave this slide up here because I think it's appropriate for the song we're going to sing. 516, when you get there, you'll notice it's I Love to Tell the Story. But what I like about this hymn is the last verse because it doesn't only talk about the things that we haven't seen, the things that are pleasant to repeat, but it talks about telling the story even for those who know it best. A message like tonight, we've probably all heard points like this and all that, but it's so good to hear them because the, the truth of our sin being completely paid by the death of Jesus Christ, that's the grace of God. And we should love to continually hear that because that's why we know why we're going to heaven. It has nothing to do with our character, and God has said he will reward us for the way that we behave, but we're never going to lose our salvation. And so I think we should love to tell the story and hear messages as such we did tonight. So let's stand together. We'll go to 516 in the hymnal and we'll sing the last verse. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing a new, new song, T'will be the old, old story That I have loved so long. 
I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. God bless you all. Have a great night, and we will see you, Lord willing, on Sunday morning. Take care.